This is the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm J.D. Layton. I'm Emily Moshek. Only on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Welcome to the Rocky Mountain Review, your news talk show here on KCSU Fort Collins. I am one of your hosts, Emily Moshak, and I am joined in studio by my co-host. I am J.D. Layton. And we also have a very special guest here on the phone to talk about a Halloween special coming up. So perfect for the end of October. How are you, Dan? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Good, good. Thank you so much for coming in. We are glad to have you here. Now, let me say your full name. I'm probably going to mess this up, but Dan Seanburn. Yeah, close enough. All right. (laughs) Close enough. Well, thank you so much for being here. He made this, well, helped make this film with iSlicer, the iSlicer Halloween special, and it is going to be at the Lyric here in Fort Collins on Friday, the 26th at 11 p.m., and he is here to tell us about that today. So, Dan, can you kind of just explain a little bit about what this special is and what the company iSlicer itself is? For sure. So uh, the iSlicer is a touring punk rock television show that uh, I create with my producing partner, Vanessa McDonald. We're both based in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, we both have worked in the film world for a long time. We're both super passionate about work that we sort of describe as alternative filmmaking, films that are maybe a little bit too experimental, strange, and transgressive for even, like, the mainstream independent film world. Uh, certainly not stuff that you would see at a multiplex. But, you know, we, through our sort of work, uh, have, have met and built this community of filmmakers from all around the country, uh, you know, from, I think, something like 30 out of the 50 states in the U.S. Uh, and today we've had over 70 filmmakers involved with the show. Um, and what we do is we, we essentially make what, what we call a variety TV show. So we make hour-long episodes where we take a lot of really amazing, strange, short-form stuff and smush it together into something that feels more than the sum of its parts. So it's almost like the video equivalent of a mixtape or like watching an episode of Saturday Night Live, but instead of sketches, you're watching boundary-pushing experimental work. Um, so we've been working on the show uh, for, for about two years now. Last year, we made a 10-hour first season of the show, those 10-hour-long episodes, and we took it on tour and toured it around the country. Uh, we really believe in bringing it regionally to the communities that, uh, you know, that, that, that aren't just New York and L.A., uh, where you know, films are, film scenes are usually just sort of focused on. And uh, we, we sort of built this model of in, instead of like trying to open it up in a theater for a full week, doing these one-night event screenings. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, so we're on tour again right now with this new Halloween special, which uh, we were on tour last year around October, and we realized that we were the only thing that was playing that wasn't sort of, uh, you know, Halloween-themed, and we're both big fans of, uh, of, you know, of old horror movies and watching weird VHSs with friends, and so we thought we'd make an episode of the show that was sort of a tribute to, to, uh, to you know, to sort of like horror anthologies of our youth. That's awesome. So, so not all the episodes are Halloween themed. No. So you know, the show definitely it doesn't really. I wouldn't necessarily call it like 
horror filmmaking or genre filmmaking, but we definitely do have a emphasis on stuff that's midnighty, I guess I would say. You know, the kind of thing that would play after hours at a theater, like a, like a David Lynch movie or a David Cronenberg movie. A lot of the stuff in our show has that vibe. Uh, but this this is this this special that we're on tour with now, and that's showing on Friday in Fort Collins is is our Halloween special. Uh, and it's an interesting episode because it's not, you know, when you go to see it, I think some people expect to just sort of watch the equivalent of like, uh, you know, like Creep Show or the VHS movies, like a, a regular horror movie. And it's not so much that; it's really diverse, like everything in the show. The style of it is is is, is really diverse and, and sort of provocative. So you know you have everything from surrealist uh, movies shot on VHS cameras to observational documentaries to remix art. Uh, there's a whole movie about the history of bathtubs in horror cinema uh, to comedies to uh, tributes to John Carpenter films. There's really like it's it's not just like a horror horror program. It's more a program of really crazy, interesting work that's that's all sort of themed around Halloween in some way. So, what what type of fans would really sort of be attracted to uh, this Halloween special in general, or just Ice Slicer as a whole? Yeah, the fan base that we've been building—it's uh, it, definitely a younger one, you know. And when we decided to make the show, the idea for Vanessa and I was really, what can we make that if ourselves 15 years ago, you know, when we were like 18 or 20 had seen this, it just would have totally blown our minds. You know, what what can we make that can show like a younger audience that's hungry for work that isn't your average like binge watch Netflix TV show that wants something that's a little more challenging or boundary pushing? Uh, what, what can we make for them that would just totally open their eyes? You know, what we say is it's for audiences who want their eyes sliced instead of their eyes glazed over. Oh, that's cool. Oh, I like that a lot. <laughs> so your younger self was definitely a big part of the inspiration for this whole project. Yeah, and like the music scene, we take a lot of uh, we take a lot of cues from like the alternative music scene in the in the country, which uh, you know, I, I I think that there is a fan base uh, around the country for music that's trying to do pretty experimental, strange things that doesn't sound like what you hear on the radio. Uh, and I, I think we kind of want to be the film equivalent of that, right? That there, there's not really that same sort of culture out there so far right now in, in America for films that, that really go against the norm in significant ways. Uh, and so, you know, the, the, the real goal of the show and the reason we put so much energy not just into making it, but into releasing it ourselves and making merch and going to as many screenings as possible so that we can meet and hang out with folks is so that we can sort of build that audience. Very cool. And when you say pushing boundaries, do you just mean kind of a general going against the norm, like kind of shock TV? Or are you thinking more like political boundaries or is there a message behind those boundaries or is it more just to kind of expand people's visions of what a movie yeah, or a project it, could be? Basically everything that doesn't feel like a traditional commercial film. And that can mean a lot of things. I mean, we're big believers in diversity uh, in every sense of the word, diversity in, you know, in, in terms of the people making the work and in terms of the content of the work itself. Uh, the Halloween special, for instance, is 70% female-directed, and I think it's like a pretty, you know, because they're genius filmmakers, but also because, you know, there isn't a lot of female-directed horror out there, it, it naturally is, is talking about things and exploring the horror genre through a different lens. Um, but typically what we mean when we say boundary pushing is like any, any work that doesn't 
feel like everything else you see out in the world. And, you know, so again, that could mean like a really quiet, understated coming of age drama, or that could mean, you know, a a documentary that's doing something totally different, or it could mean just like an experimental piece. We have everything you could imagine in the show from, uh, you know, the first season of the show had a remix piece called Nothing, that was a compilation of all of the moments in Steinfeld where literally nothing happened. So it was just six minutes of empty rooms uh, <laughs> to uh, a piece called The Birth Tab, which was made entirely within the, the video game Second Life, but which was the story of a woman looking for a live web stream of her own birth uh, to musicals, to uh, cartoons, to amateur computer animation. Uh, you know, like really there's no rules in terms of the form, but it has to be doing something with an energy that we haven't seen before. Right. Uh, so let's say you can't quite make it to the Lyric. Is there anywhere else you can sort of go to check out the rest of the Ice Slicer projects? Well, yeah. Um, so the way we release the show is pretty strange, uh, at least so far. It's a, it's a secret TV show. Um, and what that means is we, we have a website online that we don't advertise and we don't tell people where it's at. Uh, and you actually need to track down a secret code to get in. Uh, it's sort of an experiment in scarcity and, you know, in the internet, which obviously everything is just readily available for you. Um, can I give, uh, an email address that people can email if they're interested in checking it out? Yeah, yeah of course. Absolutely. Cool. Uh, so, uh, you would just email the slicer at email.com and, uh, you know, say we, we want into the secret broadcast and, and you'll probably uh, get, get a response back with, with some info on that. Huh. That is very cool. This is very scarce and interesting. It's piqued my interest for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, shoot, shoot us an email. Yeah, I know. We need to. We need to. Well, is there anything else that you would like to add or that people need to know about this film before they go see it on Friday? Uh, definitely, uh, you know, it's at 11 p.m., so... Hopefully uh, you'll, you'll be ready for something that, that you might not be prepared for in the daylight. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's a wild experience, and uh, I hope people enjoy it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today with us, Dan. We really appreciate it. And for our listeners, if you would like, be sure to check out this film at The Lyric on Friday at 11 p.m. And if you want to get in on even more Ice Slicer fun, you can check out that email. Thank you again so much, Dan. We really appreciate having you on the show. Thanks, y'all. All right. Thank you so much. And stay tuned to our listeners here on the Rocky Mountain Review. We'll be right back after this break with some local news. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review, your news talk show here on KCSU Fort Collins. I am your host, Emily Moshak, joined in studio by my co-host. I'm J.D. Layton. Yes. And we just had a lovely Halloween-themed interview from Dan, the creator of the Ice Slicer films, and their Halloween film will be showing this Friday at The Lyric. So if you'd like to hear a little more about that, be sure to check for our podcast of this episode online at kcsufm.com. But in the meantime, we have local news right here for you. This weekend marks CSU's third annual RAM Reality Create-A-Thon. The Create-A-Thon is a virtual reality programming competition and was sponsored by Hewlett-Packard, the vice president for CSU's research office and library. 
This year, 10 teams were given 48 hours to create their programs and could choose between 15 given topics or their own. The 15 given topics were suggested by CSU faculty and were on a, quote, bounty board, according to Samantha Yeh of the Collegian. The winner of the competition, Vroom Vroom, won $3,000 for their program that tested the concussion status of the user based on memory, balance, and reflex-oriented games. Second place won $1,500, while third place received $1,000. Because the top three teams all used bounty board ideas, they received an extra $500 in prize money. Vroom Vroom had four members, only one of which had any VR experience, and encourages anyone interested to give the contest a shot. Members from the second place team also explained that technology skills can come in handy for people of all majors. The competition is fairly new and hopes to keep growing. My roommate was actually in that. He said he had a, a lot of fun, and he was out super late working on it. So oh, wow. So kids definitely put in a ton of work and make some very, very interesting stuff. Well, that is awesome. Yay, Create-a-thon. Yeah. After having its inclusivity signs vandalized, the Foothills Unitarian Church of Fort Collins has received a great deal of help from the community, reports Nick Coltrane of the Coloradan. In response to the damaged signs, which welcomed LGBTQ plus immigrants and other marginalized communities, the Unitarian Church rallied to replace the signs as well as the non-congregant members who donated almost $1,000 to support the cause. Even the Fort Collins Police Department sent a note to the church asking if they wanted additional patrols or help in any other ways. Reverend Gretchen Haley stated, It's really encouraging to see the wider community is seeking to affirm and support the message of inclusivity the vandalism and messaging against those signs can speak so loudly, but that's just one person. And each time this happens, we have an outpouring from so many people who are willing to put their own resources around the message, end quote. If you have had a chicken salad lately, or if you have a chicken salad in your refrigerator right now, you might want to throw it away. A Houston company shipped almost 2,000 pounds of contaminated chicken salads to multiple states, including Colorado, reports the Associated Press. The issue with the salads is the corn they contain, which is suspected to be contaminated with listeria or salmonella. According to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the bad salads were produced on October 1st and expired yesterday. Particular salads to watch out for are Whole Foods barbecue and fajita salads and Trader Joe's barbecue, chopped, and Mexicali salads. No illnesses have been reported as of yet, but symptoms to look out for are diarrhea, cramps, fever, stiff neck, confusion, and loss of balance. This hurts me. I love Whole Foods barbecue salads so much. Ooh, well, don't eat one that recently expired and was produced around October 1st. Because you might get salmonella or listeria. Yeah, the, I would prefer not to. Then how would I be able to deliver such high-quality news? That is right. I know. And we're going to take a quick break, but you'll want to stay tuned because we have national news coming up next. And we did just have a caller call in that we weren't able to get to because our phone systems at KCSU aren't that great. But we'd love for you to call back if you're still listening and have a chance. We always love to hear what you have to say here on The Review. And if you weren't that caller but you want to call in or text in anyway, give us a shout-out at 970-491-5278. Stay tuned. You're listening to KCSU for Collins. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review, your news talk show here on KCSU Fort Collins. I am your host, Emily Moshak, joined in studio by my co-host... 
I'm J.D. Layton. And he has some national news for us here today. Controversy is developing over the wild horses that reside in the western United States between the Cloud Foundation of Colorado nonprofit dedicated to protecting wild horse herds on public lands and the Bureau of Land Management, a government agency with the mission to sustain the health and productivity of public lands. The Cloud Foundation claims that the Bureau of Land Management, or BLM, shot eight horses in northern Nevada on the private land of Nevada resident Madeline Pickens, who allegedly made an agreement with the BLM to care for the wild horses over the weekend. We spoke with the Foundation's Vice President, Lisa Friday, who asserts that the BLM is using inhumane euthanasia practices on the horses by shooting them in the heart or lungs, instead of in the head or using chemicals. According to Friday, the reason the BLM allegedly euthanized the horses was that they were emaciated from the lack of water on Pickens' land due to a broken spring. Friday disputed these claims, saying they said the horses were in poor condition, but they but when we looked at photos of the horses, we only saw one was emaciated, certainly not eight of them. She also says that Miss Pickens has attempted to fix the spring on her land only to be rejected by the BLM in what Friday says is a violation of a contract between the two that was allegedly agreed upon in 2012. She says the Cloud Foundation is currently investigating to find out more about the incident, which she says she hopes will not continue. It's a horrible thing. Friday also wished the BLM would be more willing to work with the foundation, saying it's unfortunate they're not willing to work with us. This is not the first time the BLM has come under fire for the work with the wild horses. In 2016, many of the public became angry at the agency after rumors spread claiming the BLM was going to euthanize 44,000 wild horses. However, this was later proven to be false. This math euthanization was actually a measure that the BLM rejected, according to a fact check by Snopes. In May, the Las Vegas Review-Journal reported that the BLM euthanized four horses in the area after determining that the herd was at risk of starvation. Forest Service spokeswoman Erica Hupp said she was unsure of exactly how these specific four horses were euthanized, but that the federal guidelines require wild horses be killed with discreet dignity via a fatal injection or by a shot to the head. We reached out to the BLM for comment on the situation, and we have not heard back. Correct. Yes, we haven't heard back from them, although the Cloud Foundation is asserting that the BLM did not follow those federal guidelines, and the BLM has not responded to our comment for that. And outside of the Cloud Foundation, it's unsure exactly how this event transpired, so it's kind of their word against hers. So we will keep you updated here on the Rocky Mountain Review as the situation progresses. The west coast of Mexico is bracing itself for the landfall of Hurricane Willa, which will bring inevitable storm surge, rain, and dangerous waves, reports CNN. This will be one of the strongest storms to ever hit Mexico's Pacific coast and is expected to make landfall by tonight. It is currently a Category 3 hurricane and is weakening as it nears the coast. It started as a Category 5. Hurricane Willa is the 10th major hurricane so far this year in the eastern Pacific Ocean, reports Weather Nation. Heavy rainfall that can reach up to 15 inches will cause life-threatening flash floods in parts of Mexico along the west coast in surrounding areas. 
The remains of Willa are expected to move east across Mexico and hit southern Texas a few, de- few days after it makes landfall in Mexico. The largest threat of this storm is the heavy flooding and rain that will follow its landfall. The east coast of the United States will also be affected by Willa. Remember all of the nor'easters from earlier this year? The storm from Willa will be the east coast first major nor'easter of the season, reports CBS News. As it moves towards the east coast by the weekend, the storm will bring strong winds that will have gusts of 50 to 70 miles an hour, 20-foot waves, as well as heavy snow. It looks like Colorado will be unaffected by the storm. The Colorado 10-day forecast from Weather Channel reports a chance of rainfall next week, but this is unrelated to Hurricane Willa. The caravan of over 7,000 Honduran immigrants making their way to the United States paused today in honor of one of the migrants who died after falling from a vehicle, reports CBS News correspondent Adriana Diaz, who saw the man fall. According to the Honduran police, this is the second death to occur so far. The break will also give the migrants who have been traveling through Guatemala and are currently in Mexico a chance to rest after days of walking. Religious groups in the area are donating clothes, while local authorities are donating vaccines and food. The caravan is planning to move again tomorrow morning, although they are still over 1,000 miles away from the U.S. border. President Trump is referring to the situation as, quote, a national emergency and said he will do everything in his power to block the caravan from entering the United States. Mexico is hoping to dissolve the caravan before it can reach the U.S. border and is urging the migrants to apply for asylum. Some of the migrants have agreed, while others are in Mexico illegally. This is the second or third of these large caravans that's sort of been coming up from South America, and it's just... It's just weird to, like, see all of this happening because it's, like, it's not one of those things where I'm, like, oh, yeah, there's, like, when you think of, I guess, like, a refugee or, like, immigrant crisis sort of going on, you think of, like, Syria or the Middle East. But lo and behold, it's right there south of the border. Yeah. And it, and, and it's coming right up, and it's something that's much more close to home than I, I, I guess I usually think of, and I'm sure a lot of other Americans think of too. So I, I guess it's just something to keep in mind, whether you're in favor of granting asylum or not so much. It's just, it is happening. It is happening. And yeah, it is a tricky situation because on one hand, watching these people in their interviews on the news, like it's so awful because they're coming from such a terrible place. And in my opinion, like I want to give them everything we can, but at the same time, over 7,000 people are coming all at once. And I don't know what the way to go about that is. It really is an incredibly difficult situation. And if you guys have any any comments on it or criticisms or ideas, you can always call or text in at 970-491-5278. We'd love to hear your feedback. Definitely. And in kind of the line of struggles the world has been having with immigration, something recently happened over in Sweden with a woman who was on a plane in July and she was sitting next to a man who was being deported from Sweden back to his home in Afghanistan. And she stood up and refused to sit until she and the man were both taken off the plane in an attempt to stop him from being deported. She has now been indicted just recently for stopping a plane from taking off. The man was deported, although the plane did stop. He wasn't deported as fast as he was supposed to be, but he wasn't deported. And it was later real revealed that the reason he was being deported was because he convicted assault yeah so it ends up 
that's sort of a double-edged sword right there because on one hand you know this woman she's like oh this guy shouldn't get deported just because he's he's like middle eastern for whatever reason or or something along those lines but then lo and behold it comes to light that he's a criminal so it's like on one hand sort of trying to be good and then on the other hand not so good yeah i get the meaning behind it and i think it was admirable that she literally stood up for what she believed in but at the same time as much as i don't like to admit it like we don't work in immigration we don't work in the government and although they definitely could have better organization and i don't always think they know what they're doing it's not like they're just randomly picking people off the street and sending them back to their home countries like there's definitely more of a process than that. So I think just standing up like that on a plane when you don't know anything about this man or why he's getting deported was a little naive on her part. Yeah, and this is another thing that we'd love to hear your feedback on. Uh, that number is 970-491-5278. Should she get punished for it, for trying to do the right thing? Well, I think her punishment wasn't necessarily just doing the right thing, but I guess it's illegal to stand up and stop a plane from taking well, off. Oh, yeah, yeah, most definitely. So and I guess that's why the indictment is actually happening. But yeah, the implications behind it. And then on the other hand, was it the right thing to do? That is true. Yeah, we would love to hear from you. I guess, yeah, my opinion is in one way it's admirable, but I do not think she should have done it. I think she should have waited for the facts. And I don't think that Every deportation is necessarily wrong. Sometimes they're just not great people. Exactly. Again, not saying that everybody deserves that or is a bad person because I feel I feel angry fingers texting us right now. <laughs> but I don't know. I feel like it's very situational and that we can't look at it as one culture versus another necessarily. Right. Have you guys ever wondered what happens with the leaves on campus? Where do they go? What happens to them? Because I don't know if you've noticed, but there's quite a few trees here in the lovely, lovely Colorado State University campus, and they produce quite a bit of leaves. Have you ever wondered if you could do something different with your leaves? Well, boy, oh boy, do we have something for you. Our very own Mia Sawaya, our local news director, has come up with the information you so desperately crave. And it's right here, only on the Rocky Mountain Review. Autumn is here and the leaves need raking. Last week, I saw people around campus piling up leaves, so I interviewed CSU's ground department for more information. Sheila Bakken, the department manager, explains that the leaves are taken to the composting facility at the Foothills campus. They are specifically taken to the windrow composting, which is basically a large compilation of organic materials. Sheila explains that the leaves are an important part of the composting process as they, quote, help bring the salts down from the horse bedding to improve the quality of our finished compost. So leaves are helpful for CSU's composting, but maybe you're not into composting. There are still quite a few options of what to do with your leaves. You can mulch them into your lawn with a mulching lawnmower, drape them over plants for insulation through winter, or use the Leaf Exchange Program to give them away. The Leaf Exchange Program is an online service where people post their unwanted leaves online so others can pick them up. All you have to do is put the unwanted leaves in a bag and post on the message board, which can be found through fcgov.com leaves. 
The leaf exchange started in 2004 as a way of preventing leaves from unnecessarily going into the landfill. It gives people an alternative to throwing away unwanted leaves, which lowers the amount of waste put in trash cans. Lowering waste amounts can help people save money with the pay-as-you-throw program. Senior sustainability specialist, Honor Defew, explains that this program gives people the option to downscale their trash cans and financially benefit. He says that trash pickup services vary in price, but all companies must charge two times more for a medium bin and three times more for a large bin. So downscaling your trash or recycling bin size will save you money. Defue explains that a motive of this program is to get people to consider the amount of waste they produce. By considering the amount of packaging and purchased products and paying attention to composting options, unnecessary waste can be prevented. Defue notes that the pay-as-you-throw program is nationally recognized as an effective waste-reducing strategy as it, quote, helps align financial benefits with environmental benefits. Whether it's purchasing low-waste products or utilizing composting services, reducing waste is an easy way to help your wallet and the environment. Thank you, Sheila Bakken and Honor Defue for the interviews. And thank you for listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review here on KCSU Fort Collins. I am your host, Emily Moshak, joined in studio by my lovely co-host... J.D. Layton. And our special guest, Asher Korn. She is going to tell us a little bit about the drag show that happened on KCSU, oh my goodness. At CSU. At CSU over the weekend, right? Yes, uh, it was a great time. Everyone, it was just so nice to see everyone together. A lot of the audience came in costume too, which was great. Uh, Peppermint was wonderful. Um, that was Peppermint was the featured um, drag queen uh, for the show this semester, and Peppermint is iconic for several reasons. But um, the most um, infamous one is Peppermint appeared on RuPaul's Drag Race season nine and was one one of the semifinalists um, next to Sasha Velour, which. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm spotting a Sasha Velour hat, but um, <laughs> she was one of the main finalists on the season, but she's also the first openly transgender contestant on the entire series. Oh, wow. So um, having Peppermint here, especially after the political climate that just recently happened, is, you know, a big move. And um, a lot of Peppermint talked a lot about that. Lola, who was in charge of running the show. Um, had a segment or not a segment I performance about that and it was really interesting very cool what was probably your most like memorable or favorite act of all the whole night Ooh, um well let's see there were there were, everybody was really good um first of all anybody listening you were very good <laughs> but um I think my top two I have to say were Lola and um, Peppermint just because Peppermint was the only one who did like a live singing section. Oh, wow. I like, had like a live mic singing into the mic, mm-hmm. which was really impressive. And um, just because Lola is very good about staging and having like a very memorable and distinct performance. Because mm-hmm. um, Lola was very, Lola likes being dramatic. Gotcha. Very cool. Um, besides, so Peppermint is from like the actual TV show 
RuPaul, right? Yes. Okay, I'm, I'm like, my re- reality TV knowledge is not super good. You're, you're but, totally fine. <laughs> and then was everyone else, like, CSU students doing it, or who yeah, was all there? Yeah, uh, it was, uh, there were a lot of, there were a lot of first-timers, which I was surprised. Everyone did, like, a very high-level, like, performance. There weren't any, like, weak ones. There was a 12-year-old who performed, too. Um, J-Man, hello. Um... <laughs> Yeah, they they also feature a lot of local queens because Colorado has a very big scene for that. Hmm. So there were a lot of teachers, too, who came up in drag. Like, there's a drag group called Chocolat, and they do, like, a group performance every year. And so they were were featured this year, and they did a really good job. Very, very cool. Nice amalgamation of everybody. And there's usually donations that go along with this as well. Is there a, 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 a foundation that these donations were going to? Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent of the donations go to PRISM and the Pride Center, oh, where cool. we are able to have events like this because people sponsor events. And we have, you know, access to a lot of resources because of, you know, events like the drag show, because we we raised a we raised a good amount of money. Very cool. Yeah. And we actually had the leader of the director of the Pride Center, Dora Frias, on two weeks ago for National Coming Out Day. So again, you can check out her interview along with this on the website, kcsufm.com, if you want to hear a little bit more about KCSU supporting Pride. How many contestants were there? See, that is a great question. Um, the cast list in the back, I was a bucket babe, so I had access to this. So th- Wait, what's a bucket babe? Uh, so a bucket babe <laughs> is, um, so for drag, it's customary to tip the performer by either handing them a dollar bill, like directly, like looking at them, being like, take the money. <laughs> or if they don't come over, you just throw it on the stage so they can get pick it up later. Bucket babes go in and pick up all the money that was dropped. And for because the CSU show is nonprofit, we have to run all the funds to the back. So our treasuring department can count them and we can like see how much we're raising. You're also able to trade in like fives or 20s in the back for like single ones if that's easier too. Um, it's just like a we're just like the runners for the money, basically. Very cool. Did you get a dress up? I dressed up. They asked me not to, but I did anyway. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you wear? Describe uh, it for our listeners. Well, it was a throwback theme. So we, we were supposed to wear black and blend into the background, but that I, I wear black every day. So I wasn't <laughs> feeling that that day. Um, but for because I wanted to match the theme, which uh, nobody else did, but I wanted to match the theme. So I wore um, throwback overalls with a lot of um, old timey buttons on them. Not old timey. They're from the 80s. But like <laughs> just like throwback <laughs> buttons. And I had a backwards baseball cap. And I have I have these really bright um, Nikes that are from the 90s. So I was like, yeah. Very nice. Very, nice. very nice. How many contestants were there? Going back to that. Yes. Oh, I, right. Sorry. I got distracted. I was like, buckets. Yeah, no, you're good. <laughs> uh, I seg- segue. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, so on the cast list, there were about 26 contestants. Um, Peppermint was mentioned twice because Peppermint was, there wasn't an intermission. So Peppermint was like the intermission time slot and the last time slot. So that's 25 and then two of them couldn't make it, so that brings it to 23. So about 23 people. That's, that's a good chunk of, uh, of people yeah. definitely running around. Awesome. If, if you've never been to a, a drag show at CSU, they're pretty wild, and there's a lot going on. I remember I went to one my, my freshman year, and I was definitely taken aback, but not taken aback. I was My mind was just blown by the amount of stuff happening because I'm, I'm not super well-versed in, in, in that stuff, and it was just it was a lot of fun, and I, I really enjoyed it. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> whoa? Whoa. 
Do we do these every year or more than twice a year? Do yes, you know? there is. Um, every semester, right? Yeah. We yeah we like to keep them um, keep them coming keep them rolling. Very cool. It's very awesome. Well, thank you for sharing your experience with our listeners, and hopefully they'll get to check out the next one next semester. That was Asher, and she also will be back on KCSU on Saturday, right? Yes. Um, tune into my show, Chromesthesia Landscape, and we'll discover the color of music together. Exciting. And speaking of music, here on the Rocky Mountain Review, our local music not music our local reporter Mia Sawaya has another music segment here for us on Polythea. So check that out right here on The Review. It's 90.5 KCSU for Collins. Polythea's new album, New Levels, New Devils, came out about two weeks ago. The band specializes in instrumental music, but there is one song with lyrics on the album. Band member Tim Henson explains that although they are in the rock genre, they pull a lot of their influence from radio music like pop and rap. He explains this conscious decision as a way of broadening their audience and making their sound unique in a Dunlop Sessions interview. The variety of instruments and influences compensate for the lack of lyrics. The song OD does a great job showing Polyphia's skill with instruments. It starts with a very technical guitar riff, which is followed by playful drums in the background. This song sets itself apart from other rock songs with a rap-like organization. With many beat drops throughout the song, you aren't sure what genre you're in by the end. The song So Strange features Kuko and is the only song with lyrics on New Levels, New Devils. The lyrics are about missing an ex, and the song stands out on the album due to Kuko's alternative influence. The lyrics definitely don't prevent you from vibing out to the dreamy song. on the album is called Goat, and the cover art for this single says a lot. If you're a millennial, you know Goat either refers to the animal or the acronym Greatest of All Time. According to Genius, the animal version actually symbolizes the devil, and the artwork for this song shows people worshipping a four-legged goat instead of a great idol. They worshipped the wrong goat. Olivia's album, New Levels, New Devils, is keeping the rock genre fresh with their creative use of instruments. From the Rocky Mountain Review, I'm Mia Sawaya, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins.
Welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review, and special thanks to local news reporter Mia Sawaya for that music segment on Palafia. I'm your host, Emily Moshak, joined in studio by my co-host... I'm J.D. Layton. And our sports director, Ray McGowan. <laughs> hey! Who is going to tell us about our football game uh, over last weekend. Yeah, do I have to? Yes, uh, you do. Oh, That's why you're well, here. True. Well... Colorado State went to Boise, Idaho to face the Boise State Broncos. Yes, not the Denver Broncos, the Boise State Broncos. I made that mistake. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And going in, Boise State has always been a fantastic team in the Mountain West Conference, and that definitely showed. It's that uh, Smurf turf. It gives them extra powers. Exactly, it's that Smurf turf. And they definitely proved that once again last Friday. Just at the half, Boise State was leading 35-7. to and put the whooping on Colorado State. The final score in the end was 56 to 28. Cajun Carson, yeah, exactly. I feel like we've done worse. It, that's, not, that's not comforting. I'll shut up. <laughs> well, I mean, it was an important game, though. It, it's okay. It's always difficult going into Boise because they are always, you know, in top in recruiting for Mountain West Conference. I don't know what they do, and that makes them different. It, might, it must be the Smurf turf. Dude, I'm as telling you, say. you, they bring cups of like the little turf, and it's all nice and blue, and they're like, you could play on this. But they've they've always done a fantastic job of recruiting, especially after they've had that amazing season a couple like a couple years ago, where they played, I believe, Oklahoma in the Outback Bowl, and they and Oklahoma was like one of the top ranked teams in the nation, and Boise State was the underdog, and they upset them. And ever since then, they've done a fantastic job, and Colorado State wasn't expected to win this game and they definitely didn't they I mean it, it was just tough to watch and it was kind of at the moment where it was kind of seeing where we were at as a team in terms of going against opponents at that kind of caliber I mean KJ Carr Samuels had 19 went 19 for 30 230 yards two touchdowns which isn't bad but also two interceptions and Colin Hill the backup uh, I mean, technically, not anymore. Uh, he just threw, shuffling them. Yeah, they, he threw twelve for fourteen, one hundred thirty-five yards and a touchdown, which is great. But my, it was it came in garbage time, and now it got to the point where constantly throughout the the weeks, you we've seen KJ Carson come out of the game and Colin Hill come in to replace him, and they flip back and forth and. Really, the the game against New Mexico was one of the only games where Colin Hill didn't come in for any portion of the game. And now, after being blown out by Boise, Coach Bobo said, "I'm going to start Colin Hill instead." After throughout the season, he goes, "I don't, I'm not going to make a decision, a final decision between certain quarterbacks, uh, unless so it's KJ." And finally, he said, "I felt like I need to make a change. I feel like our offense needs a spark, so I'm going to put in Colin." Which is, in my mind, exactly not what you need. Right. I, I feel like that's putting in maybe not somebody who's as developed and comfortable with the team to to continue. Uh, if you were Mike Bobo and you were in his shoes, what would you do to change CSU to prep them for the upcoming or well, the rest of the season in general? It would just be focused on defense because our offense is top is one of the tops in the nation. Honestly, like KJ Carsamos is ranked I believe twelfth in college football and FBS in terms of passing yards per game. Preston Williams is 
is seventh in receptions and, and also seventh for receiving yards. I mean, Warren Jackson and Preston Williams, our receivers, both had 100, over 100 receiving yards this past game. Izzy Matthews, running back, struggled at the very beginning of the season, had another 100-yard game. So obviously at this point, Izzy Matthews is getting his legs under. He's his main workhorse for in terms of running backs. Another 100-yard game. KJ Carson was throwing just fine, just needs to limit the turnovers. And Preston Williams and, and, and the wide receivers and OBC Johnson and the rest of them are, you know, making those incredible catches and getting these yards. It's not That's not the issue. The issue is on the other end of the football. We're giving up way too many big plays and, and not putting enough pressure. I mean, the quarterback uh, ripen for Boise State had had about the same amount of incompletions, which was four, they had third down conversions. Like a third down play in general. Hmm. Exactly. So they, Boise State was only on, had a third down four times. Hmm. And they converted on every single one. The only one where they didn't was when he tripped. Oh, it wasn't even because of us that he tripped. Uh. Yikes. Yeah. So it's not even the fact that it's like, it, it, sure, Tawn Hill might come in and he might convert, I would say, maybe uh, drives into more points. But in the end, you can put up as much points as you want. We've done a fantastic job putting up points. But if your defense comes in and can't, you know, make those big stops and prevent these offenses, offensives from scoring then it doesn't matter. You can't make a stop. Your offense is going to get tired, and they're going to they're gonna end. Do you think our defense can improve with the little bit of a season we have left, or do you think we got to wait till next year? I think, I mean, we've seen improvement Yikes. earlier. We've seen, we've, I mean, it's a good question, because during New Mexico, for our homecoming game, they, they did a fantastic job, believe it or not. They're one of the few teams that held New Mexico under – 20 points in a game. The other, te- other team to do that against New Mexico was Wisconsin, who was ranked in the top 25 in the nation. So obviously something's there. Colorado State held San Jose State to zero points for three quarters. The only time where they, they allowed them to score, although, was 30 points in the third quarter. So something is there. Something's like we can obviously stop these players. We can stop these drives and we can stop the offense and able to you know get the ball rolling. What that is, I don't. I I honestly am not sure. Maybe it's probably pressuring the quarterback. Uh, hopefully, the defensive staff and Bobo can find that out faster than I can. Because hopefully. yeah, hopefully, because at this point, with how it's going, Colorado State had the hopes of being at least in the top of the Mountain West Conference, and right now we're just trying to salvage our season to not be at the bottom. Yeah. All right, shifting gears a little bit. How's volleyball looking? Volleyball's looking great. Yay! Hot. Exactly. <laughs> Good stuff. We're doing a fantastic job. We have a game against San Diego State this Thursday. Uh, they are expected to do a fantastic job. They're expected to come out with a win, maybe in a sweep of three sets. And ooh, ooh, ooh. I know it. That's expected. They've done a fantastic job so far. I mean, they're still trying to work out all the kings because they've lost a lot of, you know, Excellent seniors who are who are you know had that experience and had that leadership, but uh, Chris Hillier has done a fantastic job of filling in as well as Brianna Runnels uh, in those gaps and being those leaders on the court. And so far, they've done a fantastic job, especially with with Coach Tom Hilbert, and they're expected to be at the top of Mount West once again. 
That yeah, is, that's great. <laughs> that is good news. That is exactly what I like to hear. And those games are terribly fun to go to. They're great. They, there's so much energy, and it's so awesome to see those girls get out there, work as hard as they can, and, and really put in, you know, just amazing athleticism and sportsmanship on the court. It's truly a phenomenal sight. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as much as, I mean, again, a lot of people on uh, here at the CSU campus kind of wish that the these women that are part of the volleyball team, you know, wish they got more you know publicity than a, than a terrible football team. But <laughs> well, I'll make the rules. Well, you get it here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. On the review. <laughs> so their game is on Thursday. You said, yeah. Yes. What other sports events do we have coming up for CSU Rams? This, to look forward to on this Friday. Of course, we just talked about football, but this Friday we have the Border War, which. In my opinion, you can have as many games as you want, but when it comes to rivalry games, everything's out the window. Everything changes. Anything can happen. It's true. And Wyoming is, I believe, two and six, while Colorado State is three and five. So it's also here in Fort Collins, the first time where the border war will be, border war will be in Canvas Stadium. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be the first time in that new stadium. It's going to have home field advantage, and we might get away with a win for that one. I I think it'll be fun, especially given UW sort of lost their uh, their stellar stars, and uh, now they're not looking as hot as they used to. Yeah, I mean, when you have a high, when you have a quarterback caliber, I mean, an NFL quarterback. Can't even talk. I'm so sorry. A NFL caliber quarterback. There we go. Such as Josh Allen, who who's now, of course, playing for the Buffalo Bills. I mean, it's kind of hard to fill in that gap right away, but. You know, it's fun. It's going to be a fantastic game. It's going to be late, so I would recommend if you go to bring a coat. It does start at 8 o'clock in, in night, so it might be a little long one, but make sure to bring a coat, and we might win. Of course, favorite part about these robberies, the trophies. It's a golden boot. It's true. Mm. Everybody wants the golden yeah. boot. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us, Ray. Uh, I know everybody's been waiting for this part of the show, and I know I have, too. It's my favorite part. It's your favorite part. It's everyone's favorite part. It's the weather part. So I don't know if you noticed, but today was lovely. <laughs> and in case you don't know, it's going to stay nice and lovely tomorrow as well with a high of 68 degrees and a low of 44. Whew, not that cold, but it's still going to be nice. That's pretty cold. I'm, I'm cold. I feel like that's pretty good. I'd be cruising in shorts pretty much up until then. And then, lo and behold, Thursday is going to be just as nice. But if you want any more beyond that, you're going to have to wait till Thursday's show. Exactly. We'll be back at 4 on Thursday. And we will be interviewing a New York Times published poet as well as a climate change expert. So stay tuned for the show on Thursday. But in the meantime, thanks for everyone who participated in the show today, including Mia Sawaya, Katie Otter, Asher Korn, Ray McGowan, Dan Schonbrun from iSlicer Films, which will be at the Lyric on Friday at 11 p.m. And thank you, J.D. Thank you, Emily. Of course. Thank you to our listeners for listening to this Rocky Mountain Review today. We loved having you. We love putting it on for you. And we'll be back on Thursday. 